welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This is Easter Sunday, so join us as Pastor David talks about our response to the resurrection. Let's listen. Well, on January 15th, 2009, a flight took off from LaGuardia Airport with 155 people on board. You probably remember this story because immediately after takeoff, it hit a whole flock of birds, which then caused total engine failure. A movie was made about this in 2016, uh, and the pilot, Sully, was played by Tom Hanks. You might remember that. But the movie went into thinking like, okay, what did the pilot have to decide, and how quickly did that pilot have to decide it? The pilot realized, we have total engine failure, and the stakes could not be higher. Do I have time to turn around and land back at LaGuardia? Should I try to land at another nearby airport? Or if doing so, will I end up crash landing in the very dense metropolitan area of the New York metro? Well, he decided in a big decision that he had to make to land on the Hudson River. Do you remember this? We've got a picture of what that looked like. I remember seeing that on, I think I went to CNN.com and there was that picture and I thought, what just happened? You don't expect to see that. But because of his being able to make a big decision under immense pressure and very high stakes, all 155 people on board uh, made it out alive. I tell you this story because we too need to make a big decision today. Yes, the stakes of our decision are also very high, not physically, like flying a plane, but spiritually. We get to decide today, how do we respond to the news of Jesus's resurrection? And we are going to study an account from the Gospel of Matthew. And in this account, Matthew shows us two different groups of people that respond in two different ways to the news of Jesus' resurrection. The first group of people were the guards. The guards who were set to watch and secure the tomb where Jesus was buried. That's going to be the first response. And then the second response was from two women, the two Marys, they're called, who go at first light to Jesus' tomb. We get to decide which group do we follow today as Matthew shares with us his account. Now, as a reminder, you're going to see in this opening uh, scripture verses the chief priests and the Pharisees. That was the group that was responsible for Jesus' death and eventual arrest and death. And so this group had planned it, they had plotted it, and finally it happened. So the day after Jesus died and was buried, this group of chief priests and Pharisees got together to discuss what to do next. This is where our scripture picks up this morning. In Matthew 27, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. 
Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. So this group of people, they got what they wanted. Jesus is dead. But they're still concerned. And why are they concerned? It's because they remember. Yes, they remember that when Jesus was alive, he told large groups of people, I'm going to die. But after three days, I will be raised back to life. They remember Jesus saying these words, although they do not believe Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is actually going to come back to life, but they're worried. They're worried to say, okay, what if some of Jesus' disciples sneak in in the middle of the night and take his body and then spread the rumor that, oh, look, it happened. Jesus has been raised from the dead. They think that trick would be worse than anything that happened before this point. They agree that this cannot be allowed. And so the story continues. Pilate says, take a guard, Pilate answered, and go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Yes, they decide that there are two ways that they want to make this tomb secure. The first is that they seal it. And they seal it by placing a large stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. You might remember from sermons past, we've talked about how tombs in this day were really more like caves. They were kind of opening in a rock formation. Uh, We've got a picture to remind you of what that looks like. And so that would be a tomb in Jesus's day. Their one idea for how to secure the tomb was let's just get a giant rock. Let's get a giant rock and we'll push it in front so that it would take really great effort and a lot of people to be able to push that rock aside and get into the tomb. That is their first idea. And their second idea is let's also place some guards around the tomb. Because if a group of disciples snuck in in the middle of the night and tried to push that stone away, oh, we'll have the guards there. And they will put a stop to that real quick. Let's see how all this works out. Matthew 28 begins in this way. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Yes, what we're told is that two women, the two Marys, decide to go at first light to Jesus' tomb. It was not a large group of disciples sneaking there in the middle of the night. It was simply two women. And the two women go simply because they want to be near Jesus. Perhaps they want to anoint Jesus' body with spices. Or perhaps they just want to get some closure after what had been a very traumatic weekend for them. But can you picture this scene? Think of the sunrise we had this morning, how beautiful that was, And I picture them walking towards the tomb, the sun just peeking overhead, cresting out the golden rays. They get to the tomb, but when they do, something very unexpected happens. We're told that when they get to the tomb, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, 
rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love imagining what this must have felt like for those women. I mean, they show up at the tomb, and what do they see? They see a giant stone blocking their way. They see guards that are actively guarding the tomb. I mean, their hearts probably just dropped in that moment. But then, then the ground begins to tremble a little bit. Yes, then there is a violent earthquake. And not only that, but an angel of the Lord then appears, moves the stone to the side, and if that's not enough, decides to sit on the stone. I love that. It's kind of like, look at what I just did. I can move this giant stone, and now I'm going to sit on top of it to show you my power and authority. This earthquake, this was no normal earthquake. No, this earthquake wasn't caused by the shifting of seismic plates beneath the earth. If you read this scripture closely, you'll see that the earthquake was caused by an angel coming down from heaven. That was the effect that the angel's coming had on the earth. Talk about an entrance. They see all of this happening, and then later, Matthew tries to describe what that was like. And Matthew goes on to say, well, his, meaning the angel, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Do you notice the, the irony that Matthew's using here? The guards who were supposed to be guarding the dead body now themselves become like dead bodies because of their fear of this angel. Okay, what I want you to notice at this point in the story is how many different types of power was trying to get into the way of Jesus' resurrection. I mean, think about it. You have the stone, and the stone almost represents the physical barrier, the physical power that was coming between Jesus and the resurrection. You've got the guards, and the guards were posted there as a dangerous deterrent to get in the way. And you also, you have the implicit threat from Jerusalem of, hey, nobody better show up at that tomb because, look, we posted guards, we've got a stone, we are making sure no one wants to show up there this weekend. But none of these things, and this is Matthew's big point in sharing this with such dramatic language, none of these things compare to the power of Jesus' resurrection. Yes, none of these things that seemingly would have gotten in the way can get in the way of God's power. Yes, the angel completely ignores the guards and instead decides to speak directly to those two women who are witnessing this whole scene unfolding before them. We're told in the next verse that the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. I want you to pay attention to that phrase, I know you are looking for Jesus. I find that phrase to be so relatable. 
Because aren't we all, really, when it gets down to things, aren't we all looking for Jesus? I mean, aren't we looking for some deeper truth or meaning in this life that we get to live? The search for meaning, that, that is a real universal search that all of humanity really is on a journey on together. Yes, we are looking for Jesus. What we see in this story is the important thing is where you look. Yes, are you still looking for Jesus in the grave? Because you are not going to find him there. Are you still looking for meaning in your life, in the dead places of your life? Because that's going to be a dead end too. Are you looking for Jesus? Well, he's not here. He has risen. The message that was first given to these two women on that early Easter morning 2,000 years ago changed the world forever. Why? Because it is a message of truth that God raised Jesus from the dead, and in the same way, God is willing to raise all of those who are faithful from the dead as well at the end of time. The resurrection power that is at work in Jesus Christ is at work in us as well. And so it's as if Matthew's saying, quit spending your time looking for meaning in the tombs of your life. Jesus is not there. He has risen. Well, the women, they receive this message. Can you guess what they do next? We are told the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. But suddenly, Jesus met them. Rejoice, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What is the first word out of Jesus' mouth after his resurrection? Rejoice. How fitting is that? Rejoice. Now, in the Greek that this was originally written and spoken in, rejoice was a type of greeting that you could use. It was a customary, not extremely common, but customary greeting that you could use when you greeted other people, and it had a specific meaning. So when we say rejoice, we just simply mean like, hey, be happy, right? Rejoice. It's a good day. But here, inherent in the Greek, and, and I want you to see this because we get it on the slide here, the root of this word is charis. And charis in Greek, charis in Greek is grace. And so what this is trying to imply, what the customary greeting was, was delight in God's grace. So we're not rejoicing simply because, oh, it's a nice day outside. Or rejoice because, you know, I wake up and I'm not too stiff today. There's lots of reasons why we can be happy. But for Jesus to tell those women to rejoice, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you need to delight today in God's grace. Because Jesus' resurrection is the primary expression we have of God's grace. I mean, think about what Jesus went through. God took the worst that this world could possibly offer. He was mocked, beaten, 
arrested and eventually crucified, died in the most brutal way imaginable. But what was God's response to this broken world that we live in? Grace. Grace was God's response to us. New life was God's response to us. Resurrection was God's response to us. And so the first words out of Jesus' mouth after he sees these women who have been so faithful in his life is to rejoice, delight in God's grace that is now so evident within the resurrection. This has been a hard year for many of us. I mean, we have had struggles that we have had to face that have been unprecedented. And you have persevered through so many things. I can't tell you how many people are here today for the first time in a year. This has been a hard year for us. And it continues to be in many ways. Yes, things are opening up. Things are looking a little bit better, but it continues to be a year of adapting, doesn't it? And so on this Easter morning, when you come to church in masks, or you watch online in an Easter morning unlike any other, I truly want you to take this word to heart. Absorb it into your soul, this word, rejoice. Rejoice because in spite of this year, in spite of the many ways that we've had to adapt, we can still delight in God's grace that is so evident on a morning like today celebrates that Jesus is risen. Yes, you all have reason for joy. I mean, God's light is shining down upon us today, so rejoice. Now, this is a beautiful story, but don't you wonder what happened to the guards? I mean, the last time we saw the guards, they had fallen down as if they were dead at the reaction to the angel. So what happened to them? Did they wake up? And if so, what did they do next? Here's what Matthew says next. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. So when they finally come to, they go back to the same people who initially sent them to guard the tomb in the first place. Uh, right in the beginning of our scripture reading today, where the chief priests and the Pharisees are saying, we need to guard that tomb. So they sent the guards out, and now the guards are returning. And what are the guards doing? They're simply reporting. They're reporting what they just experienced. They're, they're just laying out the facts. And here are the facts that they report. You know, they're saying, well, we saw an angel. It made us fall down. We were very scared, but we saw, saw an angel. They report that the stone was rolled away, that this angel was physically able to remove their barrier, and they had to have reported that the tomb was now empty. There's no more body. Jesus is not there. Those are simply the facts that they know to report. So how did the chief priests and the Pharisees respond to this news? It says, When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, don't worry, 
we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble, meaning we'll, we'll bribe the governor too. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this whole story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. What I want you to notice is that the authorities, the chief priests, and the Pharisees are unwilling to compromise on their belief that there is no way that Jesus could possibly be raised from the dead. I mean, the facts are in front of them. The tomb is empty. There is no body there for them to discover. The guards are showing up giving their first-hand account of what they saw and what they witnessed. But how do they respond to these facts? Well, in order to continue in their belief that there's no way a resurrection could take place, they decide to bribe the guards and ask them to spread a lie. Yes, in the face of what should have been really good news for them, definitely mind-altering news, but still good news, they instead choose self-preservation. And they're willing to lie to keep themselves in power. I find it really fascinating that Matthew, in, in telling this story, Matthew bookends the resurrection with the accounts of the guards. Right? The guards are there in the beginning, then you have the resurrection, and then the guards are there at the end. It's as if Matthew is telling his readers, which is you and me, that we get to decide how we will respond. Yes, we get to make a big decision today just like Sully did. The stakes are high. How will we respond to this message, to this news? Will we respond like the guards? The guards or the authorities, uh, basically saying, we know that something happened in the tomb. Something happened that day. After all, they did see an angel, but they could not completely explain what they saw or experienced. And so instead of investigating further, they simply took a bribe and spread a lie. You know, sometimes, as I've been thinking about this, Sometimes I think we can respond to the resurrection in that way as well, where we recognize that something significant happened on that first Easter morning. I mean, that is almost indisputable. After all, many of the Jewish people moved their most holy day, the Sabbath, from Saturday to Sunday to commemorate what happened on that day. Something significant happened on that day. What turned out to be hundreds and then thousands and then millions of people became a movement of people who believe that Jesus came into our world, conquered death, and opened up new life for all of us. A movement that is now globally over a third of our world. Something significant happened on that day. And I know, we may not know all the facts. We may still have questions about the resurrection, about that first Easter. But the, the choice in front of us is do we choose to continue to investigate, to ask questions? Matthew's account encourages us to do so, to not be like the guards. So I encourage you who are here today or watching online, if you continue to have questions about Christianity, about faith, or about this story, investigate. Ask questions. Talk to those whose lives have been changed because of this story. 
Matthew really does want us to not act like the guards, but to act like those first two women who came to the tomb that day. Because Jesus told them, rejoice, right? Jesus told them that grace is here for you today, that you, all you have to do is delight in. And what was their response? They fell down at Jesus' feet in worship. Yes, Matthew is telling us that can be our response today in a similar way. We come to God to worship because today, today is a day of praise. Today is a day of celebration. Today is a day of grace. And today is a day of worship. So won't you rejoice? He is risen and life will never be the same. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.